brother, we're going to begin here in Ephesians chapter 1. And, uh, you know, look, really looking forward uh, to working through this book with you. And, uh, you know, it'll take you only about 20 minutes to read Ephesians. Uh, and it's not obviously a long letter. Uh, and so it could, you could read it quick. But it's going to be good for us to move slowly through the book and to meditate upon the truths that we find in Ephesians. As I was uh, talking to some of you about, about reading for breath, right? Reading, just reading through the Bible as much as you can. 10, 15 chapters a day, soak it in. But then also reading for depth, diving and, and, and plunging and mining for the truths of Christ and the gospel in the scriptures. And that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, for the next, I don't know, however many months it takes us to get through the book here. The book of Ephesians might be one of the most theologically rich books in the entire Bible. There are a number of good truths in here for us. And I was thinking, brethren, you know, one of our church distinctives, if you would, uh, is for us, we want to be a, a, a doctrinal church. We want to be a church that, 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 that praises biblical truth. And we want to be a church that knows our Bible. But also, brethren, what comes with that is that we would walk in light of, these, of, of, of the rich theology that we profess and that we believe and that we proclaim. And we're going to see that here. Uh, if you, and this has been said before, you can maybe cut Ephesians down in half. The first three chapters are a lot of these rich truths of, 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 of the realities that are ours in Christ. And then you get the therefore in chapter 4, that how do we live in light of these truths? How do we live in light of, of, of all that God has done for us in Christ? We're going to see that here. And brethren, it, 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 is, it is so true for us to understand that if we're, going to, if we're going to seek to understand the Scriptures and we're going to grow in our theology, it's got to be truth that penetrates the heart and causes us to live in light of it. I mean, what good is it to proclaim these grand theological truths and know much about our Bible, and, and yet we don't live it out, brethren? It doesn't, it doesn't affect our marriages. It doesn't affect the way, we, the way we go to work and the way we act amongst one another and, 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 and our love and unity together here. I mean, what good is it? It is no good. So we're going to be thinking about these things as we work through the letter. You know, it's, it, it's interesting that, you know... It, it, the church at Ephesus, the Bible has a lot to say about the church at Ephesus. And, you know, it's interesting to think that this church is addressed by the Lord in Revelation chapter 2. And if you remember that this church, for, for, for all the good theology that, 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 that Paul taught them, all the rich truths, you know what it says there in Revelation 2? The Lord had one thing against them, that they had left the love that they had at First, and brother, what a, what a very good reminder for us and a good warning for us that yes, we need, to, we need to, to, to grab onto and confess and know theology and doctrine, yes, but oh brother, may we not ever abandon the love with which we had at first for the Lord Jesus Christ. May our love continue to abound more and more. Now, uh, I'm not going to give you a big, long introduction here to the background of the letter. You could, you could go read this stuff online if you, if you want, but I think something that is important for us to understand here is that Ephesians, is, is, it's, a, it's a general letter. 
It's not like James. Remember we had James. And, and, and James addressed a specific issue in the church. They were facing persecution. Now this is how you respond to that. We don't really see that here in Ephesians. It's more of a, more of a general letter. Not necessarily addressing a specific situation, so to speak. Paul is writing from jail. Uh, he, he's under house arrest. It says that in the letter. He's in chains uh, on behalf of these Gentiles, a minister of the gospel to them. And Paul is, is writing here uh, several years after he had been with the church. So, so there was maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years or so where, where Paul ha ha has had no correspondence with the brethren here. And if you read the book of Acts, really important here, Paul, Paul's ministry in Ephesus was about two years or longer. You could read about that, and I would encourage you to do so in Acts 18, 19, and 20. And in Acts 18, 19, 20, a couple of things about Paul's ministry there is that the gospel took root in the city. You see, in Acts chapter 19, uh, Apollos, he comes and he's, he, he's one who's competent in the Scriptures. He's eloquent. He's a powerful man, a powerful preacher of the Word. He comes to Ephesus. He's preaching. Uh, we see the Gospel taking root here. The revival's breaking out in Ephesus. Remember, they were, uh, 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 they were casting their idols down. They were burning all their books of divination. Added up to about 50,000 pieces of silver. I mean, the Gospel was, was moving powerfully in this area, in this Roman city of Ephesus. And then uh, we read in Acts 19.10 that Ephesus really was, was, was central to, to, to evangelism in the wider region of Asia Minor. Remember, if you recall, and if you don't recall, it's okay, go home and read it. Paul was, was uh, lecturing and preaching uh, there for two years, and then it says that the, so much so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I mean, the, the gospel is going out in power here in Ephesus. And then in Acts chapter 9 or 20, Paul addresses the Ephesian elders. And uh, a text that is, that is very instructive uh, for, for, for pastors uh, in a very intimate setting there with Paul. Remember, they're on the beach. He's, he, he's, he's reminding them of his ministry toward them. They're crying. They're hugging because they know that they're not going to see Paul ever again. And there's no evidence that they did. Uh, maybe he did, but, but, but maybe not. Um, and so just all that, there's your background. That's all you're getting, okay? Um, you can go read more, more online. It's not my forte anyway. But brethren, I was thinking about here, you know, what, what do I want to see uh, this study in the book accomplish in my own life? And what do I want to see it accomplish in the life of the church, okay? Um, as, 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 as we work through the book here, and brethren, you know, I'm just thinking, I, I, I simply want to experience more of Christ. Brethren, th there is more of Christ that can be ours. We can grow more. There's, there's more of Him to enjoy than we're presently enjoying. There's more love to experience, more joy to be had. There's more fruit for us to bear. There's more, we, we can have more of Him. More peace. We can grow more in faith. We can see Him more clearly. We ought not be content with where we're at in our love and devotion to Christ. Brother, there's more of Him to experience. And I want, and you know what? I just want that for us. I want that for myself as we slow down and look at this book to see more of Him than we're presently enjoying and experiencing. And by God's grace and through His Spirit, brethren, that, that, that'll happen. That'll happen.
So what I want to do here is I'm going to read the first 14 verses of Ephesians. I'm not going to preach the entire section, okay? Uh, Aaron and I are going to be working through this, and he's going to preach the second half of this section next time he preaches. I called him last night, and I was almost done. I was through like verse 13, and I said, I called him, I said, brother, I can't preach all of this. There's just too much, and, and, I just, and it just won't be helpful for me or the church to just go through all of it. It's too much. And I, and I don't want it to be overbearing on you, and I don't want it to be overbearing on my own soul. And so we're going to work through about half of this section, and Aaron will do the other half uh, next time he preaches. So let me go ahead and read uh, Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, and then we're going to dive right into the letter. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us, for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Amen. Amen. If that sounded like a mouthful, it is. Um, this is just... I don't know, an aside, but th that's one sentence in Greek. 3 to 14. One long sentence for Paul. And it is uh, jam-packed with glory. So let's go ahead and look at these first two verses here. The greeting. Now listen, before we even talk about this, brethren, the greeting is inspired by God. Amen? The, even the greetings are, are, are Scripture breathed out for us by the Lord. Easy to just read this and go, yeah, that sounds good. Paul, yeah, we know. Let's get to the good stuff. But hold on a minute, brethren. There is good stuff here in the greeting. Paul, an apostle. Now, an apostle, uh, as Nick and Aaron and Sergio just preached on uh, in Peru, this is, there, there's two senses of this. Uh, in a general sense, apostle just means sent out one. And, and, and in a specific sense, which Paul defends in 2 Corinthians, uh, this apostleship, this, in a special sense, to, to, to speak authoritatively on behalf of Christ. Now, it's interesting that Paul says he's an apostle by the will of God. 
And I was thinking about this, brethren, and, and just how funny it is. This, this was not Paul's idea to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Paul's will was? To, to stamp out the church, which we were reading about in James. Kind of interesting to see how the Lord works these things out. Remember, Paul was part of that whole madness of, of, of persecuting the church, of which James was uh, uh, addressing in, in, in the book of James. But here's Paul. And, and it was his will to stamp out the church, but it was the Lord's will that he'd be an apostle, that he'd be one that was a representative of Christ. And brethren, oh, the, the, the grace of God, even right here, and the mercy that God pours out upon Paul, not to judge him and crush him, but to save him and then commission him to go out and to preach the gospel. And, by the way, half, uh, write half of your and I New Testament. Paul writes all these letters in here, most of them. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, it is worth noting here, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I know many of you, or at least some of you, have a Catholic background, or, or, or maybe, uh, I was thinking about Lydia, I don't see her right now, but, uh, uh, you know, like, like an Ethiopian Orthodox background. I mean, brethren, I want you to understand something here, that in Christ, all of God's people are saints. All of them are saints. Louise, you're a saint. Amen. We're saints. There's no special sense of which we have these extra holy people and they're saints and we look up. No, brethren, all of God's people in Christ are saints. Holy ones. These are ones who are faithful and holy in Christ Jesus. Brethren, in Christ. This is a huge emphasis in this section here. Brethren, it, it is in Christ where, where, where all the blessings are found. And outside of Christ, there are no blessings found. In fact, to be outside of Christ is to be cursed. To be, but, to, but to be in Him is where we find life, brethren. Life in Christ. And, and, and notice this, a huge emphasis here. Paul says, verse 3, in Christ. Verse 4, in Him. Uh, verse 5, through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, in the Beloved. Verse 7, in Him. Down in verse 9, in Christ. Verse 10, in Him. Verse 11, in Him. Verse 13, in Him. In Christ. Brethren, it's just in Christ. That's where our hope is built. We stand upon the rock of Christ and we are in Him, brethren. And that's where blessing is to be found. And he says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, you got to think about this. It's got to try to slow down just even, even now. God's unmerited favor, His grace and peace, which we need. Peace with God peace with one another, inward peace that surpasses all understanding. This peace and this grace flows out from God our Father, your Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's enough there, brethren, just to think about for a long time. God is your Father. And this grace and this peace flows out from Him and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is worthy of praise. And then Paul 
then in verse 3, he opens up this letter with a very long benediction of praise to God for all that He has done for us in Christ. Blessing God who has blessed us in Christ. Now, several men have, have, have noted, and you may know this, the, uh, the emphasis on the Trinitarian work of salvation. That's a big word, but it's okay. We need to learn big words sometimes. Okay, It's a Trinitarian work of salvation. And we see it kind of through here. The Father chooses, the Son redeems by His blood, the Spirit comes in and He seals us. And that's true. That's, that's all true. The emphasis in the passage is, is certainly upon Christ. Christ and, and, and all that is ours in Him. Now listen, it is possible that this opening is to give encouragement to these Christians who potentially are beaten down and discouraged. Uh, because Paul's been away for several years here. If you look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse, thir or verse 13 of chapter 3, Paul says this, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now it's possible that these Christians are experiencing some of this discouragement. And Paul writes to them and he reminds them here from 13 to 14 of all God has done for them in Christ. Brethren, listen. These truths that Paul lays out here ought to bring you encouragement and joy and ought to cause you to stand in awe of God. All of these things, brethren, we're going to work through these. I mean, if you ever need encouragement, if you're ever feeling down, brethren, you come right here in Ephesians chapter 1 and you read what is yours and what God has done for you and the Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen you and to encourage you. Now he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Now these spiritual blessings, these are not invisible blessings. These are blessings of the Spirit. Brethren, everything flows. Father, Son, through the Spirit to us as His people. These are the blessings of the Spirit. Now, a question that we got to ask ourselves here, and this is what's going to govern our time this morning is this. It, Paul says here, Bless, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the B is not there. It says, Bless God. Bless Him. Bless the Lord. Now, how do you do that? Right? We've got to ask ourselves that. Okay, we've got, to, we've got to bless God. Well, how do we do that? Brethren, just for starters, and it's most basic and fundamental understanding of how we bless God is to give thanks to Him and to praise Him. That's what it means to bless God. We, he blesses us, and, then, and we in turn bless Him. We praise Him. We thank Him for who He is and what He has done and what He has said. L listen to this. Ex you don't need to go there. Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, uh, after uh, uh, Israel is redeemed out of uh, Egypt, this is what he says here. Exodus chapter 18, verse 9. And Jethro, who's a Gentile, rejoiced over all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Bless Yahweh. 
who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And so there's Jethro. He hears of what Yahweh did. And he blesses him. He praises him. Blessing God. This is exactly what happens also, one more, in Luke chapter 1 with Zechariah. Luke chapter 1. You don't need to turn there. You can if you want. Verse 68. Zechariah, the father of John, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied and said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? For He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David as He spoke by the mouths of His holy prophets from of old. Here's Zechariah. He's blessing God by thanking Him and praising Him for what He has done and what He has said through the mouth of the, of the prophets in the Old Testament. This is how we bless God, brother. We praise Him. We thank Him for what He has done and what He has said. Now listen, praising and giving thanks to God or to anyone, when you, when you just thank somebody for what they have done, you know what that expresses, brethren? Dependency upon someone. When we thank people, it expresses our dependency upon them. And listen, we, we are utterly dependent upon God for everything. For everything. Now we need to be careful here because dependency upon someone will either will produce two things in your heart. It'll produce gratitude to be thankful for that person of whom you're dependent on, or it'll produce resentment. Resentment. Because you know what? We don't like to be dependent on people. We don't. We don't like to seek someone's help. We don't like people to, 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 to reach out a hand to us. And we certainly don't enjoy that in God. Not as an unconverted person. Remember in Romans chapter 1? The characteristic of these ungodly, wicked people who were all of us is they did not give thanks to God. Did not thank Him. That is the heart of the unbeliever. Hardened. Not giving thanks to the one of whom they are so dependent on. But brethren, for us, we've got to remember, we've got to walk in humility. Humility produces gratitude. When we recognize our dependence upon God, it should cause you to thank Him and to praise Him for what He has done in our life. That's what it ought to produce in us. Remember in Luke's Gospel, see an example of this. Remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers? Remember they went away? And how many of them returned back? You guys remember? One. That's right, Jackson. One. One. And that one leper, who was a foreigner, Samaritan, came back and gave thanks to Jesus, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. And the other nine went away, unthankful and ungrateful for what the Lord Jesus Christ did in their life. And brethren, here in Ephesians 1, 3-14, we are blessing God. We are praising Him. We are thanking Him because He has blessed us. Now, how has He blessed us? There's, there's several things in here, and I'm going to talk about six of them, or 
three of them, not six. I was going to do six of them, and I can't, that's just too many. Three areas, brethren, three things that God has done for you and for I that should cause us to bless Him, to thank Him, to walk in gratitude to Him, to worship Him, to live for Him. Three things here. Aaron will do the other ones next time he preaches. Brethren, God has chosen us. First thing here. He's chosen us. He has adopted us as His sons. And He has redeemed us. That's what we're looking at this morning. We bless God because He has blessed us in Christ. And how has He blessed us? He's chosen us, adopted us, and redeemed us. It's what He says here in verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Brethren, God chooses His people. This is nothing new. This is all over the place. We read it there in Deuteronomy. God chose Israel because He loved them. Not because they were great. Not because they were a lot in number. Not because there was anything good about them. He chose them because He loved them, brethren. That's the basis of your election. God chose you, not because of anything good in you. Because He loves you. He set His love upon you. John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, I chose you. <laughs> he does the choosing, brethren. And He appoints us that we would go and bear fruit. And this, this, this choosing of God is done, Paul says, before the foundation of the world. You ever just sit back and, I don't know, stare into the sky and just think about that? What, what was there before, the found, before there was anything? You know, you ever think about that? I don't know, 10,000 years ago or so, however old the earth is. Before the foundation of the world, before God spoke everything into existence, that's when He set His love upon you. Before the foundation of the world. And His choice of you, brother, had nothing to do with your performance, nothing to do with, or the lack thereof, of any good He ever saw in you. He set His love upon you because He loves you. That's it. He chose you. He chose you. And this is to emphasize here, brethren, the, the, the graciousness of God. <laughs> the grace of God. And, I, you know, I find it interesting here that this is the first thing Paul says. It's the first thing to encourage these Christians here. The first thing he says to them, God chose you in Christ. You're a chosen child of the living God. Brethren, listen, the, the, the sovereign electing grace of God and His choosing is nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And in fact, we see in the Bible over and over again, this doctrine is deployed to encourage and to strengthen the souls of Christians all over the place. When God's people are feeling down, He reminds them, God chose you. You were elected. You were foreknown by God to encourage them and to uphold them. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Remember that church, the people that are suffering, kind of the same context as James? He writes of the elect exiles amongst the dispersion who were foreknown by God. You know what he says to them? You can turn over there. We read it. Uh, Peter's right after James. 
says there in verse 1, to the elect exiles that they were chosen by God. And then he says, verse 3, Sergio read it, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless Him in the midst of your suffering, church. Bless God. Why? He chose you. He caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that's undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. What an encouragement that is. Nothing to be ashamed of. It says it in Isaiah. Isaiah 41. I love that passage. You know, we've seen that song, How Firm a Foundation. You know what the Lord says to the people there? Remember, they're in exile in Babylon. He says, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, therefore. There it is, brethren. There they are in Babylon in exile. And He reminds them, I have chosen you. Fear not. <laughs> I'm going to come and redeem you. I'm going to come and rescue you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Brethren, it, it it's, it's always seems to be in this context of encouraging the church. chose you. Out of love. Out of love for you. The purpose of your election, as he says here, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Brother, you were chosen to be holy and blameless, set apart, set apart from the world, set apart from the, from, from, from the wickedness that we see around us. You've been separated out. You're a treasured possession. Not to fall under the influence of, 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 of the ungodly and the idolaters. As he says there in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He's called you to himself. Don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to the world. We see that, right, in, in Romans 12. Don't be conformed to the world. We are to be holy and blameless, morally upright in our character, seeking to please God like Noah, like Job, like Abraham, who were blameless in their generation, seeking to please the Lord. And brethren, God's action in your life ought to affect how we live. Do you see how that works? He chose you. Now go out and live worthy of the gospel to which you've been called. He set His love upon you. Let that encourage you. Then now go out and walk. Go out and live for Him. Be strengthened. And follow after the Lord. I mean, brethren, you ever think, and I've never thought this before, so if you, if you say no, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, you ever think, you know, God chose me. I need to really knock that off, whatever sin you've been committing. You know, the Lord chose me. I need to stop doing that. I mean, brethren, the, the, the action of God ought to impact how we live. My conduct is not worthy of the gospel to which I've been called. I need to knock that off. I need to change my attitude. I need to repent. He chose me. You see that? You see how those things are connected there? He says, brethren, holy and blameless. This is the same phrase that Paul uses in Ephesians 5 when he talks about marriage. This is kind of interesting here. The same thing there, talking to husbands. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that she might 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see a little text note down there, holy and blameless. Same, it's the same phrase. So, so, so we have a context here that this is what Christ is doing to his bride. And who's his bride? The church. Who's the church? You. This is what God is doing, brethren. God chooses you. He plucks you out of darkness. He gives you life. And then He's beautifying you. You see that? He is beautifying you as His bride. Cleansing you. Washing you with the water of the Word of God. To present to Himself. You see, He's doing that to you. Brethren, the, the, God is going to complete the work. Yes, He chose you. Yes, He came and died for you. Yes, He gives your, you His Spirit. But He will complete the job. He will bring it through to the end. And that is encouraging. Without spot or wrinkle. Oh, look forward to the day, brethren. <laughs> when we are presented before Christ without spot or wrinkle, To himself. And that, brethren, is worthy of our praise. That's worthy of your worship. He chose you. He set you apart. He's beautifying you to the praise of his glory. Second thing here, verses 5 and 6. And you see here, I mean, you got verse 5, but you got to read the first two words before, the last two words of verse 4. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Brother, we are predestined to be sons. Adopted to Him as sons. Now, if you say, well, I'm not a man or... What, what does that mean for me? Well, brethren, you've got to understand, sonship in the Bible deals with rulership, deals with dominion. And we know that uh, Adam and Eve were given dominion in the garden and, and they lost it. And then the last Adam, Jesus Christ, comes and He restores it. He restores it back to us, back to us to be rulers with Him. Brethren, we are co-heirs with Christ. We're going to get into this in a second here. We rule with Him now. Our adoption as sons has been restored even for you as daughters of the Lord. Now I want you to notice something here. This is actually kind of encouraging. I want you to see here the, the He predestined us. This governs the entire section here. Okay. Now notice, all the phrases that, that, that modify us being predestined Okay? He, he predestined us. Well, what was his motive for doing that? Love. In love, he predestined us. What, what, what was God's goal in predestining us? It was our adoption as sons to adopt us into his family. Well, how was that mediated? How's that going to happen? Through Jesus Christ. Well, what, what's, the, what's the relationship of that? To himself? How did that come about? according to His purpose, His plan. And what's the result of that? 
that we would praise Him for His glorious grace. Brethren, you were predestined to be adopted into God's family. It's another beautiful aspect of what God does for us in Christ. We've been adopted in. Now you think of adoption and uh, it's the most basic idea. I was just trying to think of an easy definition here. Is you're, you're, taking from, you're taking from one family into another. Right? Follow me there? Right? That's a pretty basic idea of adoption. We've been brought from one family and transferred to another family with equal status as the biological son, right? Okay, so we, we've been plucked out, you get adopted, and you now have equal status. Now, what I want you to see is just how glorious and how thinkable, unthinkable it is for us that, that God does this for us. Think about this. Think about this. God takes the most distant foreigner, you and I, Gentiles, to be a part of His family, to inherit His entire estate. You see that? That's our adoption. He takes you who were separated from Him, alienated from Him. He brings you into His family to make you an heir of His estate. Brethren, He does not take many wise. He does not take the powerful. He does not take those of noble birth. Remember that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? He does not take the good. He does not take those that are the well-deserving. Brother, He takes those who are by nature not of His family. By nature, children of wrath. By nature, sons of disobedience. By nature, those who are His enemies. Those who are ungodly. Those who are alienated from Him. And then He makes them His children. <laughs> He makes you His child. That's what He does for you in adoption. He goes out and brings you in. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. You could turn there if you want. Very encouraging passage here. Romans chapter 8. Start reading in verse 14. He says in Romans 8, verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Brother, you see that? <laughs> we don't understand that. I don't understand that. We are a co-heir with Christ. Not a subordinate heir. Not a distant heir. We are a co-heir with Christ, brethren. <laughs> a co-heir. 
all that is His is ours in, in the Lord. I mean, a co-heir? And brethren, you know what? God would do this to anyone who would come to Him in faith. This is what He says in Isaiah. In Isaiah 56, verse 3, it says, let not, this is what the Lord's speaking here, let not the foreigner, foreigner, who has joined himself to Yahweh say, Yahweh will surely separate me from His people. You see, there it is. There is the foreigner, the outsider, who comes in faith and, and, and latches himself to Yahweh. The Lord says, let him not say, Yahweh will surely separate me from His people. See, that's always the fear. Will God treat me the same as He treats His own? I, I won't be an equal. I'm a foreigner. Will God really accept me in? The Lord says yes. He goes on to say here in Isaiah 56, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That's the promise. That's the hope. Those on the outside that come and latch themselves to the Lord by faith. You know what Paul says in Galatians? We are all sons of God through faith, brethren. Faith. We come to Christ and we believe the Gospel. We are a child of the living God. That's what it says in John 1. Jesus came to His own. His own did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of the flesh or the will of man, but they were born of God. Brethren, that's how you become a child of the living God. You believe. You believe in the Lord, brethren. Through faith. He would do it for anyone if you just but come to Him. What a glorious truth that is. This, this idea of God adopting us into His family, it is infinitely more glorious than the absurd and unthinkable idea of this, brethren. You picture uh, the context here in Ephesians, a Roman Empire, or, or a, Ro a city in the Roman Empire. Brethren, this is like the Roman Emperor grabbing a slave out of one of the most distant, foreign, pagan peoples on the planet, adopting him into his family to make him the next emperor of Rome. <laughs> and that's what God does for us in Christ. Infinitely more glorious than that. And that would be unthinkable for them to do that. Unthink you see, you get Nero, right? The emperor. Adopting some slave with some distant foreign land and making him the next emperor of Rome. That's, un that's unheard of. Unthinkable. And yet, that's what God does for us. <laughs> he takes us, brethren, and He brings us into His family utterly undeserving and showers us in His love and promises us, I will give you an everlasting name that will not be cut off. <laughs> I will make you as one of my own. And, and you know, I was thinking about this. All that belongs to Christ belongs to us as a co-heir. And I think chiefly the thing that, that, that I just was thinking about this as I was working through this thinking, brethren, all that the Father has for Christ in His love for Him 
is the same love He has for you and I. The same love that the Father has for the Son is the exact same love that He has for you. This is what Jesus prays in John 17. You can turn over there. John 17. This is fascinating to think about. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I want to just read, starting in verse number 20. As you think about this adoption and what it means for us. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, that they may all be one, just as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they may be one in us, so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. The glory that You have given Me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as We are one, I in them and You in Me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that You sent Me and loved them even as You loved Me. Huh? <laughs> that the world would know, Father, that You loved My disciples, those who are going to believe in Me, My people, even as You loved Me. Brother, you ever, you ever think about that? The Father's love for you is the same love He has for His own Son, Jesus Christ. That's how much He loves you. Equal. Because you're an adopted child of His. He loves you. He loves you. And he says, Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me, may be with Me where I am, to see My glory that You have given Me, because You loved Me before the foundation of the world. That's the same thing said of you! The same thing said of you! That the Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world. That the Father loved you before the foundation of the world, brethren. You see that! It's the same language. <laughs> Does God love you <laughs> as much as He loves His own Son? Yes. <laughs> yes, I think we could say that. What an encouragement that is. I mean, ought that not cause you just to, just to say, wow, Lord. Wow. Just stop and ponder that, brethren. And why does He do all of this? What's the purpose? That you would praise His glorious grace. <laughs> that you'd praise Him. That you'd cry out to Him and thank Him. We've been adopted in, church. Praise the Lord. Last one here, number three. He redeemed us. Verse 7 and 8. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Brethren, He chose you. He adopted you. And that comes through your redemption. Redemption. 
And brethren, God redeemed a people, His people, out of Egypt. Remember the Exodus? And this sets the pattern now for how God is going to save and deliver. This is the pattern. God, God redeemed His people out of Egypt. And this is what He's doing for us. Exodus chapter 15 uh, recognizes this. Moses says in, this, in the Song of Moses that God redeemed His people out of slavery, out of Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8, same thing. God redeemed His people. David prays this. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, saying, Lord, You redeemed a people for Yourself out of Egypt by Your strong and mighty arm. And brethren, our redemption is through a, a, a rescue or a deliverance like the one in Egypt, but, but, but the pattern has escalated. Because we're not in bondage to, in, in, in some kind of form of physical slavery. But it's worse. It's in sin. Bondage to sin. You may be able to free yourself from slavery, but no one, no one frees himself from sin. You are in bondage. You were enslaved to sin and you served a harsh master, unable to rectify your situation. Unable to do so. Brethren, our sins mounted up to God and we had a debt that was unpayable before Him. Unpayable. We were in great need, brethren. Great need to be redeemed. Great need to be redeemed. And what were you going to pay with? What bought you out of slavery to sin? Silver and gold? No. That's what Peter says. Remember Peter said this? Sergio read it. You've been ransomed. Same idea. Redeemed, ransomed. Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. <laughs> the precious blood of Christ. That was the price of your redemption. The blood of Christ. The blood of the Son of God. Brethren, is the blood of Christ precious to you? Is it? Is it precious to you? Do you think about that? Remember, Paul tells those Ephesian elders in, in, in Acts chapter 20, he says to pay careful attention to themselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit made you an overseer. And you know what he says there? That the church was obtained by His own blood. Brethren, the church was obtained by the blood of Christ. That's how you were obtained. That's how you were won. That's how you were delivered out. That's why you're standing here now today as a son of the living God is because of the precious blood of Christ was spilled out for you upon the cross. Shed for you. Shed for me. That was the price, brethren. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He loves you. He shed His blood for you and for me. And brethren, our redemption is clarified further. He says this in here. He says, uh, in Him we have redemption through His blood. What does that mean ultimately? The forgiveness of our trespasses. <laughs> forgiven. You're forgiven. The forgiveness of sins. 
That's what it means to have redemption, brethren. That was our greatest problem is we had sin mounted up. Jesus said this in the, in, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, Matthew 20, 26, 28. He says, this cup, this cup, brethren, is the new covenant in My blood which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness. Sin is not counted against you, brethren. It's been removed. As the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. And brethren, if God would mark iniquity, the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 30, 130, who could stand? If He marked iniquity, if He kept a record of your wrongdoing, who could stand before Him? Answer, none. No one could stand before Him. But you know what's so glorious? The next verse in Psalm 130 says, but with Him there is forgiveness. Forgiveness. All of your sin. Forgiven. Every bitter thought, every evil deed crowning His blood-stained brow as we sing in that hymn. Forgiven, brethren. It's done. And you know what Paul says? He says, you have it now. He says, he says here, in Him we have redemption. We have it now. The forgiveness of sins you have now. You don't have to wait till at the end, brethren. You have it now. Present reality based upon a past action. It's yours now in Christ. You have forgiveness of sins. Now you walk as a forgiven child of the living God. <laughs> what a joy that is. What a joy that is. And he says here in verse 7, we have this redemption. We have this forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. You hear that, brethren? The riches of His grace lavished upon you. This grace is not given out reluctantly. It's not given out begrudgingly. But it is lavished upon you with unrestrained, brethren. It flows unrestrained towards you in generosity from God. It abounds towards you. Some of you will know this title. Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Who wrote that book? John Bunyan. Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. That's where he gets this phrase. I think. I don't know. You could, you could fact check me on that. But that's what the word means. To be lavished upon you. It's abounding toward you. This grace of God abounds towards you, brethren. God just doesn't show you grace. That's too weak. Oh, God shows us grace. No, 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 no. <laughs> Way too weak. He causes His grace to be lavished upon you. Lavished. Brethren, that, that is worthy of our thanks and our praise. 
We have such a gracious and good God. And how could we not praise Him? How could we not thank Him? You know, it says there in 1 Samuel chapter 12, I was talking with Kyle about this verse the other week. Samuel encourages the people here. He says to serve the Lord or fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully. Why? For consider what great things He has done for you. Oh, brethren, what a motivation to go and serve the Lord. For consider what great things He has done for you. The psalmist says in Psalm 126, verse 3, The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And brethren, this is just scratching the surface. He has done much, much more for us. Let us praise Him. Let us thank Him. Let us serve Him faithfully. Brethren, let us bless God who has blessed us in Christ. Amen? Let's pray.